Gina Della from Pella. Choose five years no interest and five months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Gee, th- this is a news flash. Let's put this in the category of dog bites man. Not surprising. Several MPS, this would be the Milwaukee Public School System, the gang that can't shoot straight. Several MPS varsity football teams found out late Wednesday night, this would be last night, that their first game of the season, some of which were scheduled for tonight against, uh, well, for example, Marshall High School was scheduled to play Racine Horlick tonight. And they found out last night that the games have been canceled. And there, there's all sorts of uncertainty as to why the games were, were canceled. Now, wait a second. You might say, well, yeah, is this a reaction to COVID? No, I, I don't think so. Um, this is not, there's not a lot of transparency with MPS about this, but this is the way Fox 6 is reporting it. Um, several parents and some of the football players were calling Fox 6 News throughout the night, claiming the cancellations are due to a flaw in the MPS online registration portal. The callers claim that systems say none of the players are registered, therefore not clear to practice, even though they have been practicing. Okay, so so here, here's the deal. A- MPS this year started this online registration system, and if you're going to participate in athletics, you've got to go online and you, you've got to register. That's apparently like a, a precondition to practicing and all. Now... The deadline for this is, I I was looking at the portal, and the deadline for this is like August 20th or something like that. So it hasn't even hit that deadline yet. But apparently, at least according, we don't know for sure because MPS isn't saying, but apparently there's all these kids that went online, registered purportedly, and have been practicing with the teams, but now MPS has no record of that. At least that's what this implies. No record due to a flaw in the online registration portal um, the callers say the systems now say none of the players are registered, which means they are not cleared to practice. Now, of course, they have been practicing, like I say, for several weeks, and somebody at MPS just figured out this yesterday, and so their response is to cancel the football games. Hmm. You are trusting your children with these people to educate your kids, huh? yeah. and they can't get the online registration thing correct. Speaking of sports, uh, last night... I, I ended up uh, watching the last several innings of the Brewers game. And I, I'm going to tell you something. I don't just say this because we're the flagship station for the Brewers. Th- this is a special team. Um, you know, last night they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals, and, and St. Louis isn't going to challenge to win the division. The Brewers are going to win that. But St. Louis is playing hard. And up until the Brewers came to town, they'd actually been, been they'd won like nine out of 11 games or something like that. They were playing really, really well. And they're... They're competing for the second wild card spot. The way it works in baseball is you've got your, your three division winners, 
and then you've got two wild card teams that go into a one game playoff. So it, it, it's a long shot, but you know, again, once you get in, anything can happen. And the Cardinals are one of a handful of teams that are in the mix for that that second wild card spot. So these games mean something. So two nights ago, the Brewers come and they win two to nothing over over St. Louis. And look, St. Louis is they're, they're a decent baseball team. They, they are, and they're playing you know good baseball. So last night I turned the game on and they're behind when I they had fallen behind three to nothing. Then they had two solo home runs and they're behind three to two. They come back with one out in the top of the ninth inning. One of the players, uh, Garcia, hits a home run to tie the game up. So it's now three to three. It goes into extra innings and the Brewers just, you know, score three runs in the top of the tenth inning, end up winning six to four. St. Louis does all this stuff that is not typical St. Louis game. They make errors. You know, they're, they're unable to come up with big plays, stuff that, in years past, you know, maybe the Brewers would figure out a way to lose the game. This time, it, it's the, the Brewers just put their head down and win. It, it's a fun team. They're playing good baseball, and you really do get the sense that they're never out of it. Whenever you have games like this, I always like to see what, what they're saying, for example, in St. Louis. So I was reading some of the St. Louis papers today, and needless to say, the, 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 <laughs> needless to say, the natives are somewhat restless about, you know, what's going on. But the Brewers just, it's it's a fun team to watch, and there's plenty of room on the bandwagon. You can hear Game 3 between the Brewers and the Cardinals tonight here on WTMJ. It's just, I, I keep thinking this is going to be a special season. One more thought about baseball, though. The, the Brewers won. So, I mean, all's well that ends well. But the umpiring was terrible. I, I mean, I was watching this, and... And if if Major League Baseball goes to the the electronic, you know, the balls and strikes and things, the umpires are going to have nobody to blame but themselves. Um, you know, the umpire behind home plate last night was was just awful. Craig Council got tossed. Um, the catcher Omar Navarez got tossed. Um, their third baseman Escobar. Um, he complained he probably could have gotten tossed. But, you know, at, at big key moments in the game, when the Brewers were trying to come back, uh, both of those players, Narvaez and Escobar, got called out on called third strikes that weren't close. I mean, it, it's not like it, it's a judgment call. The home plate umpire just completely and totally lost it. And, and I mean, again, it's I understand that you're going to have close calls that go against you one way or the other. But but the, these were just completely missed calls at, at crucial moments of of the game. They weren't even close. And at some point in time, Major League Baseball has to address it because I tell you, I watch a lot of ball games and the umpiring is not good. It, it's just it's just flat out not good. And they need to do, I, I think, something. And maybe the answer is like the, the electronic balls and strikes, um, because at that, at least at that way, I understand that there's some error that's built into the game, but you watch baseball on a regular basis and you're going to find people just getting it wrong over and over and over again. But that being said, Great win for the Brewers. Tune in. They've got a lot of stuff going on. All right, let us get started. I mentioned this with Steve. Joe Biden has now come out, and he's waved his magic wand, and he said, look, I I think people who work in nursing homes have to be vaccinated. I can't force people. I can't issue a federal order that says everybody that works in nursing homes has to be vaccinated. But I can say, if they're not vaccinated, you're not going to get federal money. And that's, of course... As a practical matter, you pull away, you know, Medicare, you pull away Medicaid funding from most nursing homes, you know, because a lot of people have nursing, a lot of the people 
that are in nursing homes. Maybe they're on some sort of governmental assistance that helps underwrite this. There's all sorts of other money that goes to help offset expenses. You pull away the the federal funding from most nursing homes, and they're not going to be able to operate. So Biden says, look, I can't force these nursing homes to require people to be vaccinated, but I can say I'm going to pull the federal funding, which will effectively close them down. All right, that, that's well and good. I understand the argument. Hey, it's nursing homes. People should be vaccinated. But here, here's the reality. And let's talk about this seriously. All right, story I am looking at is reported uh, USA Today Journal Sentinel. They estimate right now that about 82% of residents in nursing homes are vaccinated across the country. But get this, about 38% of nursing home staff are not vaccinated. So let's round that up. Let, let's let's call it 40%. So right now, four out of every 10 workers at nursing homes are, in fact, not vaccinated. Four out of 10. Now, these, in some cases, are probably skilled positions and skilled nurses. But my guess is the vast majority of these are sort of that kind of the, the lower wage type of jobs, the, the people who are cleaning the bedpans and changing the you know, changing the sheets and doing the cooking and, and all that stuff. So let's say you've got 40% of the people who work in nursing homes right now who aren't vaccinated, all right? The president can say, hey, if you're not going to get vaccinated, I'm going to pull the money so the nursing homes effectively can't operate. What is going to happen? And I ask this sincerely. If if the president says by October 15th, unless everybody that works at a particular nursing home is vaccinated, we're cutting off the federal funding, which essentially is like saying shut the doors. We're, we're going to shut the doors of your particular nursing home. Well, what's going to happen? What What is going to happen if a nursing home suddenly loses 35 or 40 percent of its employees because they're not vaccinated. Now, maybe some people will get vaccinated, but okay. so let's say that raises it up instead of 38 percent unvaccinated. You've now got 30 percent unvaccinated, 30 percent. What is going to happen in the real world if suddenly 30 percent, three out of every 10 workers at a nursing home have to be let go? Who who is going to care for the residents and for everybody who sits there and says, well, I, I think this is a good idea. I, I, I maybe it is a good idea. But what's going to happen when the nursing home that your mom or your grandmom is in, you're going to take them home because there's not going to be nursing homes are not going to be able, at least in my opinion, to stay open if suddenly they lose 30 or 40 percent of their employees. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this idea sounds appealing. You know, if you're sitting in Washington, but, you know, is, is Joe Biden going to change the sheets? Is Joe Biden going to cook the food? What's Joe Biden going to do? And what are we going to do if these nursing homes are forced to close? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Okay, one of our texters says, well, the, the, the people who work at nursing homes, um, they're, of course they're going to get vaccinated because they won't have other jobs to go to. To which I say, are you crazy? I, I mean, I, I, unless you believe that vaccination requirements will be mandatory for all businesses, and, and I just, I mean, I don't see that happening. People will be able to choose. If you're making $12 an hour at a nursing home doing important work, but it, it's not like it's necessary 
necessarily skilled work or whatever, and you decide you don't want to get vaccinated, well, okay, you, you go work at Home Depot or you go work somewhere else. People are, you know, businesses are falling all over themselves to try to find people. And unless there's going to be a national vaccine mandate, which there isn't, I, I'm just saying you're going to lose a lot of nursing home workers. I understand the principle of this. I, I, I get it. But does, does nobody think about what the real world reality is as to if you suddenly lose 40 percent of your workforce, how are you going to replace them? Let's talk to Nicole. Nicole, you're on WTMJ. I just it's even happening in our private sector. We're having we're not able to refer people because people are leaving out in droves at some point. Yes, it's a wonderful idea. But unless you're going to pay people a fair amount to actually keep them to do it, what's the point of it? Well, well, exactly. And I guess, I mean, so some people might say, Nicole, the alternative is to, okay, let's, let's take a job that we're paying somebody $12 an hour to work as a cook or, or whatever. And, um, in order to get them to get vaccinated to stay, we've got to pay them $25 an hour or whatever. Well, where's that money going to come from? I mean, it's, it's just that the nursing home operators are struggling to stay, keep the doors open as it is. You might as well take your family out of a nursing home if you want this type of thing, because at some point it's going to be unrealistic to do it. And otherwise, we need to actually pay people for what they're worth and for what type of services they're giving. Instead of treating the same pay as a McDonald's to a nursing home, maybe we need to look at the pay scale instead. Thanks for calling. And then, right, and and then figure out how can that be sustainable. Look, I, 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 I. I'm getting these texts from saying, well, you know, nursing homes are that, that it's important to have the people vaccinated. I understand. I, I, I'm not arguing with the theory that it sounds really, really good to say, OK, everybody in the nursing home have to be vaccinated. I am arguing with the real world out there. And I get the impression that there's a lot of these people in, in the in the quote unquote, the ivory towers of Washington, D.C., starting with the president who come out with these edicts. Well, everybody has to be I'm going to cut off federal funding for any nursing home that doesn't have all the people vaccinated. All right. Without considering, uh, Mr. President, you know what what's going to happen if suddenly a lot of these nursing homes lose 20, 30, 40 percent of the workers? And, and and maybe you think that that's not going to happen. But, uh, again, if, if you've got a bunch of people, particularly at the lower end of the pay scale, who decide, well, OK, I'm Home Depot and I'm using Home Depot as, as not as, as an example. Home Depot, they're, they're not requiring me to get vaccinated and they're paying about the same as the nursing home is. I, I'm going to I'm going to Home Depot at some point in time. Unless you believe that every business is going to require people to be vaccinated and 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 maybe we'll get to that at some point. But I I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Now, the the question becomes what's going to happen and where are the workers going to come from? Here's a text. Jeff, nursing homes are having trouble keeping staff right now. Absolutely. Uh, The jobs don't pay enough as it is. There are plenty of other jobs out there that people can, um, you know, can can go to. Um, Jeff, this is interesting. I have a friend who is very against the vaccine who recently got vaccinated because her father-in-law lives in a nursing home in Florida, and you cannot visit your loved ones unless you can prove that you are vaccinated. Yeah, I, I, th- that's right. That That's what, how Florida has done. And again, I'm not saying that, that the vaccination requirement in this context is bad. I'm just saying I, I don't understand how it's, it's going to work 
in the real world, which is why my argument has been all along that rather than vaccine mandates, you need to have, again, that that out clause, which says vaccine mandates or or constant testing. Because at least with the constant testing, you're you're not going to force people to make the decision. I've got to get vaccinated or not. And I'm, this is from a pro-vaccination guy. But, you know, I don't see what's going to happen. All of a sudden you, you cut off federal funding to nursing homes. Boom. The, the, the residents are out on the street. You cut off. Uh, you, you say you have to ever have to be vaccinated. There's not going to be enough people to operate the nursing home. And boom, it's going to close down and people are going to be on the street. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. As someone with a family member in a nursing home, I was fine with this at first, but you actually got me thinking through this a little more. And I think it is unwise for Biden to do this because I don't think the nursing home where my family member lives would fire people refusing to get vaccinated. I think instead what would happen is they would jack up the rates for the people paying to have their family members in the nursing home and cost them a a lot more money. And instead, I, I think it would be better if there were more rewards for people who do yep. get vaccinated in the nursing homes. And I like the testing thing with yep. that idea. And then they should also isolate them as much as they can yeah. from um, from the patients. And then another thing is make them get all decked out in, in PPE. Well, right. I mean, there's all sorts. I mean, thanks to call, Jeff. And I, I but th- see that. I live in the real world, and a lot of the stuff that gets thrown around is said without any idea of what's going on in the real world. And, and yeah, it's it's something that sounds good, but in, in the real world, I just don't see how it works, especially if these numbers are correct, that on average, 38% of nursing home employees aren't vaccinated. Uh, Christine, Christine, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. Hi. So my 19-year-old works um, in a nursing home. She works in a memory care center. She's mm-hmm. not licensed. She's, she's waiting to pass her test. Right. And she's working 50 to 60 hours a week because they can't keep people yep. in right her now. nursing home. Right. And right now. And so she's made two raises. She's gone for additional training. She's now making $15. They call her every other day, and they want her to come in because somebody else is, is not showing up. Right. So if... If the number of people in the nursing homes are now vaccinated and it's 100 percent, then I'm not sure how they think they're going to get people to be vaccinated that are workers because they can just walk tomorrow and get a job at Jimmy John's or yeah. Walmart or, or yeah, I, I mean, that that's and again, it, it's it sounds good, Christine. I, I understand, you know, what the president is thinking, but but we're in, like I said, in the real world. OK, so your daughter's getting called constantly. You know, she's working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week right now without that vaccination requirement. Once you put that in, if you lose even if you only lose one out of every five workers, not two out of every five, well, you know, who, who's going to do the work? And at some point in time, you know, the people that you have, they, they burn out if you're saying we want you to do 50 or 60 or 70 hours of work they you can't do oh, that she started, in, she started in april and she's burned out we have they have people who come in and on the after the first day of changing bedding or showering a patient yeah. or changing an adult diaper they say for twelve dollars an hour this this isn't worth it yeah it's so, right you need special type of people to do that work no thanks to, no you're you're exactly right my 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 granddaughter um you know she's she works at you know she's at, she's in high school but you know she wants to be a nurse and she works at a she works at an assisted living facility and it's hard work and they they can't get people at the place where she works to, to come in because of exactly what you talked about it's difficult work and and now we're going to we're going to make 
make essentially the nursing homes fire 30 for 40 percent of the workers? I, I, I just don't see how it plays out. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Well, okay, so here, here's a texture. Jeff, th- th- this is no different than hospitals. Aurora Pro Healthcare mandating it for all employees. Uh, similar populations as a nursing home. Well, well first of all, I, I, as I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, I think that's going to be a huge problem with, with hospitals. But if you look at the numbers, the number of people in hospitals that have been vaccinated, it, it's, it's, it's higher than the, the 38% of unvaccinated people in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Now, the same texture says, I think that once it's mandated, people are going to get the shot. Well, okay, you, you, you can think that. Um, you know, we'll see. My guess is that there's a lot of people are going to simply say, fine, you know, I, if you don't, I, I'm, I'm tired of changing the adult diapers and stuff, and I'm going to go across the way where I don't have to get the shot, and then let's see where the nursing homes are. I mean, I understand the theory, but there is this thing called reality that a lot of times the politicians don't think about, and this is one of those examples. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, one, one final thought on that in the last topic, for, especially for people who just don't don't think this through. I somebody texts, well, you know, if, if if you're somebody who's a skilled nurse, you're making twenty dollars an hour. You know, you're not going to be able to replace that at Jimmy John's. Oh, okay, that's fine, but that's only that's only a small portion of the number of people who are working in the assisted living facilities. I mean, uh, uh, the people that that make those run are the folks that are working in the cafeteria and the folks that are, you know, cleaning the floors. I mean, that that's, you know, that's what makes the whole thing run. And yes, maybe a skilled nurse is going to have trouble replacing that at $22 an hour income. But but trust me, you know, somebody who's, uh, again, working, cleaning the floors or whatever, that stuff that has to be done, um, who's making $12 an hour or $13 an hour or whatever that is, okay, they, they have choices. They can go across the street and do other stuff and make just about as much money without being forced to be vaccinated. And I'm not arguing people shouldn't get vaccinated. And if they work in nursing homes, I'm just saying that a mandate is is just, you want to talk about the law of unintended consequences, that this is it right there. All right, let us switch gears. Uh, Whenever I have an opportunity to talk to people who are just starting out in in this profession, talk show hosts, I I, I always have a couple pieces of advice to give, and I always throw this out by saying, look, you know, you you have to chart your own course. You have to figure out, you know, what what stuff works for you, and just because I do things a certain way that has worked for me for 26 years um, and kept me on the air, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. But but there are, I think, some some guidelines, and I always encourage people to experiment, but every once in a while I say, you know, there are just some things that I would strongly recommend – you not do. One of those things is what I would call dialects. There, um, you know, if, if you're doing spoken word radio, every once in a while, there will be somebody will think it'll be cute that, you know, you, you want to, I don't know, mock somebody or make a point or something. So instead of speaking in your own voice, you, you drop into a dialect or you try to do an impersonation of someone. I've always told people, 
Don't do dialects because it causes you nothing but trouble. Nothing good can come of this. And in many cases, and I understand there's some hosts who do impersonations and they're, they're quite good at it, but you've got to be really careful with that. So, but my, my rule when it's, I'm giving advice is that just if, if you're tempted to do a dialect, you know, if you're tempted to imitate someone else's speech patterns, I, I recommend you don't. Because whenever you go down that route, it is, what's the phrase I'm looking for, fraught with peril. I mean, you are in a minefield without a mine detector. Which brings me to the story of former Detroit Tigers pitcher, Jack Morris. Jack Morris, and if you were a baseball fan over the years, Jack Morris, um, very, very successful um, pitcher, for the Detroit Tigers. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's been doing TV broadcasts um, for the uh, he's been doing TV broadcasts for the Tigers since um, 20. OK, 2015. He's been a TV analyst since 20. 20- 13, um, won 254 games in his 18-year major league career. Okay, so he's a very, very successful pitcher, and he's, he's created a second career, been working for seven or eight years in, in broadcasting, doing the Tigers games. All right, which is why what happened the other night is so very interesting to me. All right, now um, he's doing the Tigers game, and the Tigers are playing the California Angels. One of arguably... One of the best players in baseball, and, and people can have an argument, but I think most people would say this guy's certainly one of the top five players in baseball, is um, a player for the California Angels. He is Japanese. His name is Shohai Otani, I believe is how you pronounce the first name, Otani. But but an incredible, incredible ball player. He he plays, he, he can pitch, he can hit. He's got, gosh, how many home runs does he have? He's got over 30 home runs, I think, so far this year. This guy is is one of the best players in Major League Baseball. All right, so what happens is he's he's coming up to the plate, and Morris is, is the analyst, and then you've got, like, the play-by-play guy. So as this is going to happen, the, the play-by-play announcer says, okay, you know, what strategy – should be used for pitchers that 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 face Otani. You know what 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 should be the strategy? How do you pitch the guy? Um, because he's a superstar. Yeah, thirty nine home runs. So you know, okay, Jack, you're the you're you're the major league pitcher. You know what strategy should you use? What should strategy should pitchers use to to pitch to this guy? Now keep in mind he's Japanese. Well, um, Morris then responds by saying be very, very careful. But he doesn't say, be very, very careful. At least he doesn't say it like that. He drops into, I, I don't know, like a, a bad a, a bad Asian dialect. You know, so, I mean, think about think about the Godzilla movies from the, the 60s and stuff that were kind of dubbed, something like that. He, he, he uses a dialect where he sort of pretends to be, you know, speaking in, like, pidgin English with a Japanese sort of accent. All right, that, 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 that's what he does. And he says, like, be very, very careful. So, um, you know, he, he's not, it's not that he, I don't know, said bad stuff about him, but, again, by using this dialect that he does, um, lots of people find it offensive. So here's what happens. Um, uh, in the ninth inning, 
apparently they're, they're getting all sorts of texts. They're getting all sorts of phone calls. So in the ninth inning, he goes back on TV and he says, well, folks, Shohei Otani is coming to the plate, and it's been brought to my attention, and I sincerely apologize if I offended anybody, especially anybody in the Asian community, for what I said about pitching and being careful to Shohei Otani. I did not attend for any offensive thing, and I apologize if I did. I certainly respect and have the utmost respect for this guy, and I don't blame a pitcher for walking him. Okay, so he 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 recognizes, and I suspect that, again, in the, the, the time between when he said it the first time and over the course of the next 30 or 45 minutes, he, you know, there, there's kind of a storm that's developed over the way he did it. But he, he comes on immediately and says, look, I, I apologize for this, um, for, for at least what I said and how I used it. Um, I apologize for using the dialect, using the accent. Well, he has now been suspended indefinitely from the, the broadcast. You know, he, he's he, he's off right now. Many viewers, I'm looking at a story in the Washington Post, are calling him for him to be fired. There are 30 Major League Baseball teams, which means fewer than 100 commentary positions exist. Just find 100 intelligent baseball minds who won't make racist remarks. Jack Morris isn't special and doesn't need a second chance. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dialects always get you in trouble. He was dumb to do this. No, no question about it. He, he was dumb. I, I guess he, he thought he was being clever. All right. It, it was, it was a poor choice. But I guess my question is, he immediately or relatively immediately apologized for this, said, look, I, I didn't mean any disrespect. I mean, should he be canceled? Should, should he be off the games for the rest of the year? Should he be banned by, by Major League Baseball? Is this sin so egregious that he shouldn't continue to do broadcasts? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, what's interesting to me about this story is when TV analyst and former Major League Baseball player Jack Morris, when he's asked about Shohei Otani coming to the plate, and, and the, the other guy says to him, okay, if you were advising pitchers, how, how would you have them pitch to How would you tell them to pitch to him? And, and he says, be very, very careful. Okay, there, there's, there's obviously nothing wrong with, with what he said. What's created the whole controversy is the, the way he said it, because for some inexplicable reason, maybe he thinks he's being clever or whatever, he, he drops into kind of like a, a, di, a dialect, like, again, like, like an old Godzilla movie, a badly dubbed Godzilla movie from the 50s or 60s, and that creates the whole issue. He recognized pretty quickly, I think, that he had made a mistake, and he comes out and he apologizes. There are people now saying he should not work again. He should be banned from working. Um, he, right at this moment, has been suspended indefinitely. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's a text. Jeff, he didn't say anything derogatory, and he apologized for being inconsiderate. Enough already and move on. I believe this is just an example of the perpetually offended taking over the world. I, see, here's how I kind of analyze this. I, he, he was wrong. I, that's, that's, I started off the thing by saying when I give advice to you know, people who are starting out in this business, it's always don't do dialects. They just, they never work or, or almost never work. And and this is the type of thing that happens with that. I do think you have to, and I think it's fair to look at intent. 
in deciding what the consequences would be. And I guess I look at this in, in this context based on, you know, what he said. I think he was trying to be clever. He made a very, very bad mistake and he, he should not have dropped into the dialogue. But at the same time, when I'm seeing all these texts and these people who are saying, oh, this guy, that this is the consequence for, for doing this. He, he should be fired. He shouldn't be able to work in Major League Baseball. I, I say, wait a minute. I, I mean, r- really, this is the example of, you know, people who live in glass houses not throwing stones. Yes, did he make a mistake? Yes. Should he have apologized? Absolutely. No question about it. Should there be some consequence? Okay, if they decided, look, we're trying to impress upon him the fact that by by doing what he did in a thoughtless kind of manner, he's offended a bunch of people. So we're going to, you know, give him a three day suspension, or we're going to give him a week suspension. I, I guess I I could see something like that, but it, it's not like he went on a, a lengthy racist rant demeaning the the ability of people who come from you know foreign countries to play baseball or things like that. I mean, quite to the contrary, he was saying, hey, look, if you're pitching to this guy, I, I tell you to be extremely careful. So it's it, his mistake was doing the dialect. And yes, I understand why people were offended. But I think everything has to be proportional. And to, to say, well, okay, just because he slips into this dialect, that means that he, he should never be able to work again in baseball. I think that that is a complete and total overreaction to what the guy's crime was. And this is, again, I, I understand that there's people out there that are perpetually offended and the politically correct who, you know, are, are willing to pounce on anything anybody says or does and says, this means you need to be canceled. You know, you're, you, you can't work in this industry or you shouldn't be able to work because this means that you are, you know, inherent. A, a racist. Well, I, I don't know that that's what this means. It means the guy made a dumb mistake thinking he was going to be clever and, and probably going for, you know, a laugh. And it was a bad decision. No, no question about it. it. It was a bad decision. But in the scheme of offensive things that people do on a regular sort of basis, to me, you know, this this is a, a three. I could give you all sorts of examples of fives and nines and, and, and tens. And, and yes, does there need to be some discipline? Yeah. But do you really need to cancel this man and say, OK, you know, you've, you've been you have all this. You've accomplished all these different things. And, and you went for a, a cheap joke and you probably shouldn't forget. Probably you went for a cheap joke. You shouldn't have done it. What were you thinking when you did this? What else could the guy do? He does it. He immediately recognizes. I think he's made a mistake. He's apologized for it. All right. If you want to suspend him for a couple of days just to say that. You know, you're, you're giving him a warning and you want to make sure that he's more thoughtful next time he gets behind the, the microphone on, on the air of the Tigers broadcasts. I, I think that that's a fair sort of thing. But to fire him, get rid of him, should never be on the air again. I'm sorry. I think that that's extreme. And I think most people would acknowledge that. And for everybody out there that, you know, needs their, their pound of flesh every time somebody does something, which I think most of us would agree is, is, is improper. For everybody who says, that's it, you, you've got to be gone. We can't deal with you anymore. Um, you, you better be careful because sooner or later, I mean, sooner or later, you're going to be do something that's going to offend some other people. Jack Morris, it was a dumb thing to do. Should it cost him his career as a broadcaster? I'm sorry, I just don't think so. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. 
I've been curious to discuss this particular story with you. And I, I admit this is one where, on, on the one hand, you've got I, I, I have this like this reaction you, you with you thinking with your heart, and then you start thinking with your head. So here's here is the deal: there is outside of Madison, about ten minutes outside of Mount Horup, there is a, a it's a it's a farm. It's called Ridgeland Farms. And what this what Ridgeland Farms does and what they've done since the late 1960s is they breed beetles, uh, beetles, they breed beagles, dogs, they breed beagle dogs. And then what they do is they sell the dogs. These dogs are raised and they are bred um, to be experimented on. So that's what these do. They go to research labs all across the country. So that that's the business. And they estimate that um, there's about 3,000 beagles which are, are raised every year, which are then sold to hospitals, laboratories, whatever, to, to be experimented on over the course of, of, of any given time. And, you know, there, we, we perhaps talked about this before, but a, a, a lot of the medical advances that, that we have that benefits us as humans come from from laboratory testing and, and beagles when it comes to you know doing a lot of this testing beagles are are actually when it comes to dogs they are they're the preferred breed of dog so this facility raises beagles with the idea that they're going to be sold to labs and the the conditions and I, I've been reading several stories in advance, in advance of talking to you about this the the conditions at the laboratory at the at the breeding facility that this isn't some like slimy puppy mill I mean because actually the the business you know the business model is that the the dogs which are are sold to the hospitals and the research facilities they have to be in in really good shape they have to be well taken care of i mean you know a a, a hospital that's going to be doing you know research on an animal to try to you know develop a, a cure for ovarian cancer all right that you know they, they don't they're not going to take a dog that's that's been abused so the these dogs are very very well treated at this particular facility, because again, that's the business model that, that's out there. So, now on the other hand, I'm, and I'm not going to lie to you that the life of a of a dog that's being raised to you know for for this treatment, it, it's it's probably not it, it's not going to have a, a great outcome. They estimate that of um, about one out of every ten of these research dogs ultimately goes on and gets placed, you know, in families and things like that. So it's sort of like the pigs that are being raised to, to go to market that become pork chops and bacon. It's, it is the nature of the world. But this farm in and of itself is not a horrible place. They do not horribly mistreat the animals. Quite to the contrary, they, you know, they, they raise these beagles, but they're raised with the idea that they're going to be, you know, used for medical tests. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Well, here's the deal. Um, a couple of years ago, actually April of 2017, so four years ago, three got two guys from California and a woman from Illinois working for an animal rights group called Direct Action Everywhere broke into this re, broke into this breeding facility and stole according to the criminal complaint stole three of these dogs worth um 
about $3,600 from the facility. The criminal complaint says that um, apparently what happened is like alarms went off. The manager came out and and ultimately found that there were three dogs that were missing. Um, More than a year later, they were conducting the investigation and they, they found an online video which the three alleged thieves had posted, you know, uh, taking credit for, quote unquote, rescuing these these dogs. Um, plus, you know, one of the people, the uh, the gal, you know, she goes on Facebook and she says, we rescued Anna from Ridgeland, a facility that breeds beagles for use in experiments, holding nearly 4,000 dogs at a time. One of the other guys says, these poor dogs all wanted to be rescued from this life of exploitation. We rescued Julie and two others, and if anyone on the outside treated them like the farm did, they would face charges of animal abuse. So they're, they're very, they're upfront about it. They're, they're essentially proud of what they did. They thought that, hey, this is this higher purpose. We disagree with these um, puppies being raised for, I mean, and being sent for, you know, again, medical experimentation. Yes, we did it. We broke in. You know, we're proud of it. We saved these these dogs. Well, the DA's office in Dane County, and there's no explanation for why it took over four years, but they have just issued criminal charges against the three people who admitted that they broke into this facility and stole the dogs. They're now all facing felony theft and burglary charges as a result of this. Um, another one, apparently the third one, he went on Facebook and he said, we took Julie and two other dogs, but in order to help animals like Julie, we need your help. So what they were essentially doing is they're out there, I think, saying, yeah, we stole these dogs, but, but give us money, send us money so we can take more dogs. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, last week, week ago yesterday, I, I took my little dog in for, she had to have her, her teeth cleaned, and she had a couple teeth extracted because there were a couple broken in the back and things like that. And I admit, I was a complete and total wreck, uh, you know, wait, waiting to, to get her back because she had to be sedated and stuff, and she's doing fine, thank you. But, I mean, my, my dog is clearly a member of my my family. And the idea of, of my dog being sent off to be used for research, it, it's not going to happen. That, that, that's something that's appalling to me. At the same time, I also realize that there there is a, a food chain that, that's out there. And it's not like this, this particular place is selling these dogs to fly-by-night stuff. They're, they're selling them to hospitals and research facilities all across the country that use these animals to try to, uh, again, find cures for things or treatments for stuff to make life better in general. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the idea that you're raising these dogs to send them off to, to be experimented on, I, I admit on one level it's kind of like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that. But at the same time, if you're using some of these experiments and they find a cure to cancer, I'm going to be down with it 110%. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should these people who broke in and stole these dogs, should they get a pass? They say they were doing a higher calling. They were freeing these animals who were being, you know, kept in captivity and were going to be sent off to not the greatest, you know, outcome. They were going to be experimented on. All right. Should they get a pass for stealing the dogs? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is no. But what do you think? We'll talk about it in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This story always reminds me of, uh, gosh, this is going back a long time. This is going back probably to when I was in high school. One of my very close friends growing up, his aunt and uncle owned a, a mink farm that was kind of in the, this area in, in sort of southwestern Wisconsin. And mink are, mink are nasty little animals. I mean, they, 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 they just are. But having said that, the, the life of, of a mink that's being raised in captivity to be turned into like a, a mink stole or something, it, it's not the greatest life in the world. But I remember what happened is, this is a long time ago, you had some of these animal rights advocates that, that broke into their the, the mink ranch and and let let all these mink loose now oh, we're, we're going to free the mink go oh, isn't this great well w- within like 12 hours almost all the mink were dead because they, they they got out into the the real world and predators ate them and cars hit them and stuff like that i mean so it was like okay we've we've freed the mink and, and now that they've all died you know and it's like okay real, real good thinking animal rights activists but it doesn't make any difference because they, they still broke in and what they did was wrong and i guess that's how i look at at this story i mean i think you know i, I guess we we can have a conversation about the merits of you know using animals to experiment on and try to find cures for cancer or things like that but but it's a common practice that, that goes on right now. And as long as it's allowed, you can't allow activist groups to, you know, break in and steal people's property, no matter what their motivation is. Um, here's a couple of texts. Jeff, they deserve whatever sentence they get. Um, you know, um, I, I, they deserve whatever they get. Jeff, no pass. I have two beagles. The thieves are wrong. Jeff, if they wanted to rescue the three dogs, and this is a key point that one of the texters makes, they could have ponied up the 3600 bucks and bought the dogs and trumpeted their heroism. What they did was commit a felony burglary, and they should be prosecuted. Yes, and a number of people are saying that. I mean, if 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 this is the idea, you know, we, we think this is terrible, and we want to call attention to the, the horrors that are going on of raising beagles for medical experimentation, and I'm putting that quotation marks, like I say, reasonable people can argue about that but yeah w- wouldn't buying the dogs ha- have been a a better way to go you buy the dogs then what happens is then you can go out and you can say look we, we you, you can turn it into like that one of those infomercials that plays on late night television you know look we we've saved these dogs and here donate money to us and you know we're going to use that to buy more dogs and you know we're going to use that to call more attention to you know these various practices that are going on Th- that's the way to do it that would have been the way to go about it you know not breaking in and stealing stuff Jeff, here's a text. People will not like my opinion, but it is a reality. We need that research done, and this is one of the better options. If we're going to start complaining about animals being used for research, think of what we raise to eat. Do we stop all that, too? Do we do research on humans rather than animals? Yeah, understanding that you know, you're know you going to have to do research at some time. Now, the reality of all this is, as time moves on, I think we're going to be doing less less animal research. I think as, as stem cells become more prevalent, you're going to see more research on that, more stem cells used for research. And I understand that opens up a whole other like kind of ethical quagmire. But the bottom line is there there is a food chain around here. And, you know, we, we really don't think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have a second thought when I go out and I order a hamburger or something like that. I understand that's come from a cow and the cow has been raised um, 
or a steer or whatever that, that's been raised, you know, for, for food that I'm going to eat. That's just the reality of this. There is, in fact, a food chain that, that's out there. And I understand dogs are cute and cuddly and nobody loves dogs more than I do, believe me. But at the same time, there's also this research component that's out there and, the, you know, they're doing the research to save lives and you can't allow people, whatever their motivation is, to break in and steal stuff that does not belong to them. So yeah, the DA's office should issue charges. I bring this story up because my guess is that this is going to get a lot of attention. They waited for over four years to bring the charges, and when they ultimately show up in court, my guess is the courtroom is going to be packed by all sorts of people urging leniency or urging these thieves get a pass. Problem is, whatever their motives were, they went about it the wrong way, and yes, they deserve to be charged. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, this next story is sort of in the same vein, the same lane as what we just talked about. All right. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I am not a huge fan of mask mandates. I I think that that actually is kind of a distraction to the underlying issue, which is figuring out, you know, how to get more and more people vaccinated. I think masks are extremely divisive. And in in general, I mean, I, I kind of think that the CDC had it right a while back when they said for people who are, in fact, fully vaccinated, well, you know, you, you don't need to wear a mask indoors. And I understand that science always changes. And at some point, and I understand there are breakthrough infections, but I do think we need to get back to normal. And we do need to incentivize people to get vac- vaccinated. And to me, one of those incentives is tell, saying that you don't have to wear a mask. All right. That, that's off of my soapbox on that and i know some of you agree and some of you disagree and that's all well and good but rules are rules which brings me to the story of an engineering professor at uw stout named pavel bizyukov he's an engineering professor so here here is the deal what happened at stout is june of last year all right the the board of regents passed a resolution requiring that students and employees, including professors, wear masks in all university buildings during the 2021 school year. All right, so so that's the rule. You can argue about whether or not the, the rule was necessary. You can argue about whether the rule was an overreach, but that, that was the rule that they put into effect. So this engineering professor, Bizyukov, he says, okay, I, I want to come back. I want to teach classes in person. I say, okay, that that's fine. So he comes back, and essentially, long story short, he refuses to wear masks. You know, he, he's on campus. The rules say you're supposed to wear masks. He doesn't believe in wearing masks. He thinks the masks are counterproductive. He says he has trouble breathing in the masks. He says that um, wearing a mask for a prolonged period is well proven by scientific literature to be harmful and dangerous for people's health, myself included, etc. So he, he's got a he's got a thing with the masks. Okay, that that's all that's all well and good. But the rules for coming back on campus say. You, You've got to wear a mask. So he's he's sort of a militant anti-mask 
guy. What happens is a number of his colleagues report him. They say, hey, he's, he's back here. He's refusing to wear a mask. And apparently he goes into a couple classrooms that are doing the in-person stuff, and he's not wearing a mask. So they come out. They warn him. They say, you got to have a mask. He said, okay, fine. I've been warned. They warn him again. He does it on multiple occasions. And finally... Um, they, they've now fired him. Now, the interesting thing about this is you've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to work to get fired in the UW system. Um, since 2010, so for the last 11 years, only six professors have been fired in the UW system. Think of all the craziness that goes on in the UW system. Think of all the, you know, kind of outlandish behavior that we've talked about over the last decade. Think of all the the nutsy stuff that comes out of the UW system. And and they've only fired six professors in in 11 years. Well, that's now seven because um, last month the regents, you know, dismissed him. They, They fired him for not wearing a mask. Now, again, it's somebody who is not in favor of mask mandates as a general rule, but is pro-vaccination. On the one hand, I'm kind of sympathetic to the guy, but on the other hand, these are the rules. You know, your employer... The, the great thing about America is that, you know, you can you can leave if you don't like rules, you, you can you can go somewhere else. And if he didn't want to wear his mask on campus, that was fine. There was probably all sorts of other alternatives that he could have had, including teaching remotely. But a condition of his employment was when you come back on campus, you got to wear the mask. He might not have liked wearing the mask. I get it. But that was the rule. And when he chose not to wear the rule, not to follow the rule and wear the mask, my question is, what do you think was going to happen? It would be interesting to look at what the other six people who got fired in the last decade, what they had to do to get themselves fired. And my guess is they probably did a lot worse stuff than refusing to wear a mask. Having said that, the rule was you got to wear a mask. He knew it. He refused to wear the mask. He was warned. He still refused to wear the mask. And yes, he got fired. And yes, he deserved to get fired, in my opinion. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So last evening, uh, my my wife uh, comes in and and she says, did you see the George Stephanopoulos interview with Joe Biden? And and I I said, no, I I didn't. I, I hadn't watched it. She said, well, I've got it on tape. You really need to see it. I'm like, eh, it's George Stephanopoulos. And, and you know, I mean, I, I just, to me, George Stephanopoulos is always going to be the, the Bill Clinton guy. And, I, I mean, I've seen him over the years. And I, you know, believe that uh, it's interesting that he's been able to have the second career as a news person. But I, I think he's one of these guys that I think has and brings a lot of his biases to this. Having said that. The interview he did yesterday afternoon with with Joe Biden, and apparently Joe Biden had sat down with Stephanopoulos for an exclusive interview. It was at least the clips that that I was able to see. It was one of the most amazing and damning performances that that I have seen in a, in a long time from a U.S. president. And, and I admit. I was a little bit surprised to see, you know, it, it, would I would I have been surprised to see George Stephanopoulos go after George Bush or go after Donald Trump? No, not not at all. But but the questions for for Joe Biden, it was it was painful. I mean, the, the the words that are being thrown out about this is like you know shameful and things like that. The the, the money quotation about this is that. 
apparently, um, you know, Stephanopoulos, you know, Biden was saying nothing to see here, you know, essentially. And Stephanopoulos pressed Biden, asking if he thought the Afghan withdrawal could have been handled better in any way. Could it have been handled better in any way? To which my my first an- question would be, if you're being honest, the answer is, could, could you have handled it in a worse way? I mean, is, could it have been handled in a worse way? But that's not how Stephanopoulos asked. He said, could it have been handled in any better way? To which the president of the United States says, no, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that we're going to go back in hindsight and look. But the idea that somehow there was a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. And then Stephanopoulos follows up and says, so for you, that that chaos was always priced into the decision. Yes, Biden answered. And it's just painful. And the interesting thing is people from both sides of the aisle are looking at this and saying, what planet is, is this guy on that it that you just kind of like refuse to acknowledge that it's a complete and total mess and that it could not have been handled better? Right now, they are saying that there is about 15,000 Americans still in Afghanistan who are looking to flee. There are probably more than that number of Afghanistanis who have worked with the U.S. over the years who, if captured by the Taliban, you know extremely bad things are going to happen to them, and they are trying to get out. So now the U.S. is in a situation where they have, what's the number that they've committed to sending? Um, they're going to send several, 4,500 Troops are now currently on the ground trying to secure the airport and trying to figure out a way to get Americans who aren't at the airport and can't get to the airport and members of uh, Afghanis who have cooperated with the government who can't get to the airport either. They're trying to figure out ways to get all those people out. But, of course, you know, they don't know how they're going to do it. And, of course, in order to do that, we've had to go from 2,500 troops to 4,500 troops. We've had to send thousands of troops more back in to try to secure the stuff. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The president says that he doesn't believe that this could have been handled better. President says that this was always kind of priced in. I don't think it could have been handled in a way that would have ensured that um, chaos did not ensue. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, you almost don't know what to say when when you see something like that. And that, that unfortunately, along with the images of what was going on at the airport, which will that's going to be the legacy of the Biden administration and his remarks that, gee, well, this was all kind of priced in, and I don't see how we could have done it without this ensuing chaos, to which I I wonder, is he completely and totally out of it? I mean, look, I've said this over the last couple of days. To me, it's not whether or not we should have pulled out of Afghanistan. That's not the question. The question is, once that decision is made, it's how they did it. They could have, over the last six months, they, there was nothing magic about this date, but over the last six months, they could have been systematically removing and evacuating those people that are now desperately trying to get out. We had the opportunity to do it. You could have been removing Americans systematically over the last several months. You could have cleared out the U.S. Embassy. You could have destroyed all the stuff. But instead, 
we ended up with that chaos. So the president says this couldn't have been handled better. 855-616-1620. It would have been chaos regardless. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. What do you think? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of my texts is, well, how dare you criticize Biden? In the last six months, he's dealt with the pandemic, which my response was, well, how do you think he's doing on the pandemic? <laughs> I mean, uh, really? I mean, come on. that that That's, you know, whatever whatever initial glee there might have been and hey we're getting people vaccinated well now it turns out that the vaccinations well we're, we're not able to get as many people vaccinated as we, we'd hoped and we can't figure out how to force people to do it now the vaccinations you might need a booster shot now we got to go back to masks yeah how's that pandemic stuff working out but i don't want to get too far afield um you know one of our texters said couldn't have been handled better i don't think it could have been handled worse jeff i also heard him say that americans that are still there fifteen thousand trapped in afghanistan it's up to them to get to the airport they can't come and get them whatever happened to no one left behind well this is part of the mess you have fifteen thousand americans who are still now trapped in Afghanistan, many of whom are in Kabul. But the problem is that the Taliban has set up checkpoints. So you you, you got to figure out a way you can get through those checkpoints to get to the airport. The U.S. military, now, what do we have, 2,500? Now we've got 4,500. And now the president is saying, well, okay, we're going we're gonna to keep people on the ground, and, and they're, they're going to have to stay there as long as it takes to get Americans out. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to try to do it by August 31st, but if, if we don't have the Americans out by then, we're, we're going we're gonna to have to stay longer. We're not going to leave people behind. Well, how, in fact, do you do this? And this doesn't even take into account the tens of thousands of Afghans who worked for the U.S. government who have now been left behind, and you know what's going to happen if we don't get those people out you know that there is going to be slaughter on a scale that we have not seen in decades and decades because you know that's how the Taliban operates. And so the question becomes, now that the Taliban controls access to the airport, how how is the U.S., what is the plan if you've got, let's say, 30,000, we, we want to get 30,000 Afghanis out. I'm just picking a number. I mean, it's tens of thousands. We want to get 30,000 out. Well, if the 30,000, if those people can't figure out how to get to the ch- through the checkpoints and get to the airport, what, what are we going to do? A- and the president says, well, this was all kind of priced in, and I don't see how we could have gotten out without chaos ensuing, to which you want to say, you, you cannot be serious about this, Mr. President. Now, if he wanted to say the fall of this government – was inevitable. I didn't think it was going to happen this fast, but the fall was inevitable. Okay, you, you can do that, which is all the more reason why the United States just should, it was so wrong in just cutting and running. As I said earlier, for the last six months, you know, for the last six months, there, there should have been a systematic plan getting people out. It, it shouldn't have been here. We're just going to wait and see what happens. It should have been. All right. We're, we're planning our withdrawals. That this is this is the deal. We want all American citizens. We want you systematically out. This is the schedule. You've got to get out. And if, if you stay beyond this point, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to help you. We're, we're you're going to be on your own. Similarly, with the people who are working on our side for the in the Afghanistan, 
Afghani government, you know, it, it should have been the same sort of thing, an orderly sort of withdrawal. See, there was nothing magic about August 31st or, or whatever. And I, I clearly, you know, Biden failed to recognize that the country was going to fall as badly as it did. Still, all the more reason to do an orderly withdrawal. And yet, you know, you know, that that didn't happen. And so now you're in a situation. I don't know what the answer is, because what what if you do have five, 10, 15,000 Americans who are scattered throughout the city, for example, but they can't get to it because the Taliban won't let them come through. You know, what What do you do? I mean, are you going to send the American troops into the, the streets and systematically try to, you know, identify where Americans are and get them back? I'm not sure that's going to be practical, but you know if they do that, it's going to be nothing but a bloodbath. This was just a mess the way it was organized. And the biggest problem is that, that Joe Biden doesn't appear to appreciate that. It, that's it. It's not. And he keeps relying on this thing that, well, we couldn't stay there forever. Okay. Nobody's talking about whether you should stay there forever or not. It's, you know, how do you leave people behind? And now, like I say, we're in a real mess because now, you know, we, we've got thousands more troops on the ground with no idea as to what we're going to do with them and, and how we're going to get them back. And he's now made a commitment saying, OK, well, we're going to keep troops there as long as it takes to get, you know, Americans and our Afghani partners out with no plan as to how exactly you're going to do that. This is a complete and total mess. And if you've listened to me over the last couple of days, that the mess in Afghanistan goes back years and years and years. It goes back to the first President Bush, and it goes back to Bill Clinton, and then, you know, George Bush, and then uh, Barack Obama, and then Trump. But but the cherry on the cake has been the way the Biden administration misread everything and decided we're going to get people out without paying attention to what the real world consequences are going to be. And then still tries to pretend it's nowhere near as bad as it is. And the president's saying, well, I, I don't I don't I don't think we could have done this any differently. Really? That's actually the scary thing, that he doesn't seem to think that we could have done this differently. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Wall Street Journal has an editorial which really pretty much nails this in one. Let me share a portion of it with you. Uh, What was obvious from Wednesday's briefing at the Pentagon, where the Secretary of Defense and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff admitted that they lack military resources and political mandate to ensure that every American is evacuated amid the Taliban control of Kabul, is indicated the fact that it's clear that the Biden administration is a political um, hostage. All right, so the article goes on to say, the problem is that the U.S. military now controls only the one airport with about 4,500 troops. Americans, foreign nationals, and some Afghans who manage to make it to the airport are able to board flights to depart. But Americans and Afghans are on their own in trying to make it to the airport, which means getting past multiple Taliban checkpoints in the city and the surrounding airport perimeter. Um, so far, the Taliban has allowed U.S. citizens who have passports to get through, but the Taliban is not letting most Afghans through, and many who are tried are beaten, and who knows what else. Many Americans and Afghan allies are also spread across the country and will have to find a way to get to the airport. Pressed by reporters on whether the military could leave the airport and get Americans, or extend the airport perimeter, or create a safe passage corridor from Kabul, the secretary said he couldn't do any of those and keep the airport secure. That means he's also depending on the goodwill of the Taliban to let our people and our allies go. General Miley was pressed on why the military had abandoned 
nearby Bagram Air Force Base in July. Bagram has two runways, while the other one has only one. The general said he didn't have the troops to protect Bagram and the U.S. Embassy, given the rapid troop drawdown order from President Biden. Thank you, Mr. President. General Miley said his orders were to protect the embassy as a priority, and they did. Mark this down as one of the biggest mistakes of the Biden withdrawal plan, if you can call it a plan. Holding Bagram now would help speed up the evacuation and create more room for Afghans and others as they await departure. General Miley ducked a question about whether retaking Bagram from the Taliban is an option. That means it's Mr. Biden's call, and the president wants this mess behind him pronto. The U.S. military could fly in enough force to retake Bagram. And if the Taliban block Americans or the Afghans who fought with us from getting to the airport, it may have to. What should be unacceptable is for U.S. military leaders to have to tell the world and the Taliban five days into this crisis that they don't have enough force on the ground for anything more than protecting one airport. Okay, the White House may fear that a more robust show of force will cause the Taliban to take Americans hostage, but that concern underscores the degree to which the White House is letting the Taliban dictate the terms of the evacuation. This is a rolling humiliation. Uh, The military men also weren't any clearer than the White House on the August 31st deadline that Mr. Biden set for all U.S. military forces to be out of Afghanistan. They ducked the question. Although later, Mr. Biden said the troops would remain until all Americans are out. There should be no deadline on evacuating Americans who are still behind enemy lines. The only deadline should be when all Americans and the Afghans who risk their lives to fight with us are now safely gone. We can understand why Mr. Biden, this is the editorial board, would rather talk about COVID vaccines as he did Wednesday or $3.5 trillion in new government spending. But he and his administration are responsible for putting Americans and our allies in harm's way. His top priority, his only priority, has to be getting them out no matter what it takes. Well, there there is an element to that, and the problem, the biggest issue, of course, is that this was all this was all avoidable. Now, not the fall of the Afghan government. I mean, that I think was probably you know inevitable, but the, the chaos that is going on now, the fact that it does appear that we're going to leave tens of thousands of people behind, contrary to what the president's saying, with just a little bit of planning, a little bit of foresaw, forethought, instead of this just knee-jerk reaction that we've got to be out, we've got to be out, we've got to be out, we've got to surrender the airport, we've got to give up all this stuff. With just a little bit of foresight, we might have been able to do this in an orderly fashion. Yes, Is it entirely likely that the government in Afghanistan would have fallen? Absolutely. Yes, is it likely that a lot of the troops would have bailed and left all the American military equipment behind for the Taliban to get? And presumably, in the case of some things like the sophisticated helicopters and stuff, sell it to Russia, sell it to China in exchange for money? Yeah, that stuff was inevitable. But what wasn't inevitable is the mess that we are in now. And yeah, Joe Biden has to own that. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, I think that number is pretty darn good. Now, my, my reaction, I was out there, I broadcast uh, every every weekday from, from the State Fair. So I was out there for seven days, and my sense was... 
the, the the crowds were lighter than they had been in the past, but there was still a ton of people out there. there there's, there's no question that there was a lot of pent-up desire to get out and enjoy the State Fair. On top of that, the, the State Fair had some, some brutal weather, had a nice final weekend, but as fair organizers will tell you, the, the, the two things that, that really hamper attendance, first of all, I mean, obviously big rainstorms, and they had three nights, including that horrible night what a couple of weeks ago, two, 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 two Tuesday nights ago, where you had you know all the just the the, the huge rainstorms and the things like that. That 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 was last Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah, we could go Tuesday. That just you know knocked out power. That was just a devastating thing. But they had two other major rainstorms as well. But the other thing that really keeps down attendance, and believe it or not, it's brutal heat because when it's really really hot, people just don't don't come out that that's what they'll tell you and they had a couple days with just brutal heat but the takeaway number is 841,000 people attended the fair now keep in mind now that that's down i mean in 2019 which was the last year they had the state fair they had 1.1 million people so it it's down you know 300 actually it's probably it's down you know over 300,000 people so that, that that's a big drop but at the same time, 841,000 is, is a huge number. Keep in mind also that they kind of changed the rules of the game in that uh, the fair didn't open until 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, before the fair opened at 8. And that, I think, did stop some people from coming. It also closed a little bit sooner as well. And, of course, you, you, you've, got, you've got the pandemic. You've got all these things. I think there's some people that are still uncomfortable with going out and being in the crowds. There's some people that were turned off by some of the things that you can't use cash to get parking. You can't use cash to buy tickets. But at the same time, lots of people came out, which, again, demonstrates to me that there is a pent-up demand for this. And I, I think it was an incredible success given all the obstacles they faced. Now, next year, I expect to be a more normal year. Who knows what can happen with the ongoing pandemic, but I expect it to be more no, more normal. My guess is, if at all possible, they'll go back to the hours that they used to have, letting people in at 8 o'clock. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're going to try to do that. And I think people will perhaps be more adjusted. Hopefully, we will be in a better place with the Delta, the Delta variant or the Lambda variant or the Gamma variant or whatever it's going to be next summer, if, you're my, if I'm right, that we're going to have to live with COVID. But I, I think people are getting used to this, and I think they're, you're going to see big attendance. Um, in that same vein, I think you're going to see good-sized attendance at Summerfest this year. Now, it's going to be tough to compare the number of people that go to Summerfest this year with the number of people who went in the past because th- there's a lot of things that are different. Summerfest now is not 10 or 11 days starting on a Wednesday, taking the next Monday off and running through the following Sunday in June and July. It's three weekends, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, three consecutive weekends in in September. So it's going to be kind of tough to compare apples to oranges. But my guess is there's still going to be a lot of pent-up demand. I understand that some people are put off by the notion that they have to prove that they were vaccinated or they have to have a a negative COVID test uh, within... Uh, 48 or 72 hours, 72 hours, I think it is, before being able to get in. And I know that that's going to discourage some people to go from going. And I know that that's probably, at least in my opinion, going to be a net drag on attendance because 
for you know every person like that, there's going to be some people that say, okay, well, you know, it's now safer. We're going to be among vaccinated people. So that that's going to be a thing. The mask rules for anybody under the age of 12, I believe. I think that that might discourage some people from going down. But but regardless, they're they're trying their best to get through it. And I think there's still going to be a lot of people there. Mentioned this before. I have not seen the new amphitheater, but I'm going to the Maroon Five concert tonight. So um, got my got my vaccination i'm not taking my vaccination card but i've got a picture of it on my phone i think that that's going to work but i'm curious to see the 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 new amphitheater and i'm very much looking forward to it so i think a lot of people will be going will attendance be down from past years yeah it probably will but i think you know candidly whether it's state fair or Summerfest, a big achievement is getting the event having the event in the first place given all the challenges that are out there in that vein I have a four-pack of tickets to this year's Summerfest to give it away. To give away, let's give it to caller number 12, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 12 wins a four-pack of tickets to the big gig, courtesy of WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we have our winner of the four Summerfest tickets. Four more tickets to give away during tomorrow's show. And um, again, if, if if judging from the interest of people trying to win the tickets, if if that's an indicator, I think there's a lot of people who are willing to put up with the inconvenience of having to prove that you have in fact been vaccinated. Um, so, w- will that discourage some people from going? Yeah, of course it will. I mean, I think it's naive to argue it won't. But I, I think a lot of people um, are are just. Especially if you have been vaccinated, I think a lot of people are just, okay, it's it's really no no big deal. For me, the biggest issue was, okay, I'm going to take the pictures of the card and, and, and all this because I don't really want to carry the card around because I don't want to lose the card. Okay, uh, the Biden administration has just announced that the rules regarding wearing masks on planes and trains and buses has now been extended into next year. So the the rule had been scheduled to expire on September 13th. The Biden administration has now said, if you're going to fly anywhere or you're going to ride a bus or you're going to get on a train, you have to wear a mask. And I, I... I understand, especially for long flights, that that's aggravating for a number of people. But I don't want to talk about the mandatory mask rules. It just kind of it, it is it is what it is. If you want to fly right now, just prepare, be prepared to wear the mask. That's not the most interesting aspect of, of this story. In the same vein, in the same way that the government, because it's interstate travel, has the right to require you to wear a mask. There's other things that the government could do as well. Now, remember, we were talking about, you know, vaccinations being required in, in order in order to go to a concert. If you want to go to Summerfest grounds in order to get on the grounds. You've got to prove that you have been vaccinated. There are a number of advisors who are pushing Joe Biden to use more of his power to pressure Americans to get vaccinated. In the very uh, the introductory segment of today's program, I, I talked about what I thought was the short-sighted rule that says that if you're for nursing homes, they're going to pull out all federal aid if all the employees aren't vaccinated. My question was, if the numbers are correct, 38% of nursing home employees aren't vaccinated, what the, are the nursing homes going to do? 
I mean, are they essentially going to close down? You know, have you thought this through, Mr. President? My answer would be, I I don't think he has, just like I don't think he thought through, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But okay, here's one of the other proposals that he has advisors who are pushing him on. And there, while there's a split of legal authority, a number of really smart people believe that he has the power to do it. Just like the federal government has the ability to say, if you're going to fly on a plane or ride on a bus or get on a train and travel in interstate commerce, you know, go, you know, go from, I don't know, go from Milwaukee to Las Vegas, just like they have the right to require you to wear the mask. A number of his advisors say he also has the right to require people to be vaccinated as a condition of getting on planes. Let me let that linger out there for a minute. Requiring people to get vaccinated as a condition for being able to fly. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So far, the president hasn't been willing to take that step because I think he's worried that by going to that next step, by ratcheting up the orders that far. It's one thing to say, okay, you got to wear a mask if you're going to fly on the plane. It's another thing to say, you are not going to be allowed to fly on the plane unless you have, unless you're vaccinated. But let's tee this up. All right, should he go all the way? Should it be in for a penny, in for a pound? If he's trying to force people to get vaccinated, to the extent that we're going to say to nursing homes, hey, if any of your employees aren't vaccinated, we're pulling back the federal money. Should he take that next step? Should he say, let's, we got this mask rule in place, but you can't get on a plane and fly anywhere unless you are vaccinated? Would the American people put up with that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Earlier this week, the Biden administration announced by executive order that the the rule requiring you to wear masks if you're taking trains or buses going across state lines or getting on an airplane, that is now going to be continued until at least mid-January. But there's a number of his advisors that are pushing him to take that next step, which would require proof that you are vaccinated as a condition of being able to get on an airplane or or take a train. Here's an interesting text, Jeff. In the interest of keeping everyone safe as possible, with safety being the number one priority for all airlines, I think the Biden administration should require that you be vaccinated in order to fly. I work for a major airline, and while we're going to require the employees to get vaccinated right now, we're actually waiting for the government to make the move on requiring passengers to be vaccinated so yeah th- this is this is not a far-fetched thing i mean this is something that i i expect i would not be surprised to see an order like this come down in the next week or so the problem that biden has is is how much of a backlash is there going to be here's a text jeff i'm I am immune. I'm tired of selective science. People with antibodies are much more immune than those with vaccines, and I'm reluctant to risk more intense vaccine reactions to satisfy the fearful. Jeff, the vaccine still hasn't even been fully approved. How can anyone in good conscience force it on another person who knows what lasting effects it might be? See, that's, I think, I think that that's a very insightful text because 
I think Biden is prepared, and this is my opinion, I think he's prepared to pull the trigger on saying if you want to fly, you have to be vaccinated. But he's waiting until you get that, that formal approval of these different vaccines from the the FDA. And I think that that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks or so. That's why I think the timing of this, if, I think you're, my prediction is you are going to see an order like this, um, but what's going to happen is it's going to wait until after you get the formal approval, so then you don't get the argument that it's an experimental sort of drug. Um, Jeff, I think what Biden is trying to do is going to start some fight back, pushback from Americans, and it will affect these industries economically again. Whether you agree or disagree with making up or getting va- masking up or getting vaccinations, I know a lot of people who have walked away from a lot of money or gotten refunds because they have decided not to do certain things because of vaccinations or mask mandates. Yet, see, that's that to me is the the interesting thing. I think, I think, and this is I've always argued this. I believe that you can be pro vaccine, which I am, and still anti vaccine mandates. Um, which I, I am as a general rule as well. I think it would be disastrous to mandate the vaccine. And, and candidly, I, I think it would be unnecessary. And, and where do you draw the line? I mean, now we're already being told that, you know, you, you might need booster shots. Well, okay, we're going to have a battle to try to sell people to go in and get booster shots. So what's the deal going to be? Okay, well, if you don't have, if you got your last dose of a vaccine, um, all right, and you don't have your booster shot within eight months after that last dose, well, then you don't get to fly. Where do you end up drawing the line? I think it is reasonable, I guess, to require the masks. Don't like it. Look, I hate wearing the masks on, on on these these long flights, I, I will tell you, I, we're we're scheduled to go to France in a couple of weeks. The idea of sitting for six hours on an airplane wearing a mask is not anything that is appealing to me. But I'm going to do it because I want to go to France. I want to see Normandy. It's it's a condition of this. Um, I'm scheduled to go to Las Vegas at the end of September. I'm, I'm scheduled to Florida in early November. Uh, yeah, it's a condition of getting down there. You've got to wear the masks. I'm okay with that. I've been vaccinated, so th- this isn't. This isn't an onerous thing for me one way or the other. I mean, I, I've got the card. So for me, it doesn't really make that much difference. I don't care if you want to see the vaccination card or not. But I think for a lot of people, it, it does. And at some point in time, I think you have to figure out this balancing and be prepared you know, to say just enough is enough. And it's one thing to say masks. But it's another thing to say, as a condition of being able to travel, we're going to require you to inject something into your system. And and I think I just don't think the government should be doing that. Um, here's a text that says, um, "Your papers, please." Well, yeah, there there is an element of that. Um, you know, no question, there there is an element of that, that that's attached. And look, I I don't here here's part of the thing. And I, I said this before, we're going to have to figure out how to live with COVID. If you think COVID's going away, I, I'm sorry. I think I think COVID's going to be with us for years. It because now you've got the Delta variant, and a- after this runs its course, you're going to have the Gamma variant. You're going to have the Lambda variant, and, and we're going to be dealing with this. So we have to figure out 
how we're going to live with it. We're going to have to figure out, okay, and I don't think the way to do that is by trying to force people to get vaccinated. It's by encouraging people to get vaccinated and then maybe monitoring people who aren't vaccinated and imposing, you know, added testing requirements on them or whatever. But at the end of the day, there's only so much I think that government can do. And in this particular case, if you were to say to people, we're not going to allow you to, we're not going to allow you to, let's say you're a salesperson and, and your livelihood depends on you traveling. We're not going to allow you to fly. Let's say you're a baseball player. All right. And, you know, I know, to, I know that Major League Baseball encourages people to encourages the employees to get vaccinated. But let's say you're one of that 10 percent or 15 percent or whatever it is of the baseball players who haven't been vaccinated. So what's the deal? We're not going to let you fly. You, you can't get on airplanes. You can't engage in your you know chosen occupation. What about the kids? We're not going to let you have kids on planes because, you know, there's not vaccines for people under the age of 12 it, at some point in time. I think there's only so much of a stick that the government should be able to to use as far as trying to modify and change people's behavior. Again, this comes from the perspective of somebody who is vaccinated. So if they put that requirement in, doesn't matter. I'm still going to be able to fly pretty much, you know, any anywhere I want because I'm willing to wear the mask and I've been vaccinated. But for the government to require it as a condition of being able to travel, I really think that's a bridge too far. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.